When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Find the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you all. A very busy show today, uh, courtesy of Brandt, uh, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Anything uh, to do with agriculture, you go and see the people at Brandt and they will sort you for good. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, we've got uh, Richard Whiffin uh, waiting on the line for us, so we'll get to him very, very shortly. Um, we're going to talk uh, about the Highlanders. Uh, Lance Dry, the Wellington Plays uh, cricket coach, uh, is with us later in the morning, as is Ben Gardner. Of course, uh, he's the NRL Maori All-Star coach uh, for this particular fixture this weekend. Um, and uh, plenty more, including hopefully some uh, little extracts from uh, Baz McCullum's press conference this morning up there in Hamilton. But let's uh, begin the show straight away uh, by getting across to Richard Whiffen because we've only got him for a short period of time now. Uh, Richard has uh, got a rich history in coaching, uh, starting when he was just 22 year old as uh, you know an, an analyst, and then he's uh, gone through Scarlets, Gloucester, London Irish, and his last gig. Uh, was the Welsh women's side uh, in the World Cup. Richard, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Awesome. Good, uh, good, to, good to speak to you, Smitty. How's how things? Yeah, I'm really good, man. Really good. Uh, listen, um, Welsh women's rugby team, Highlanders, it seems quite a distance apart. How have you found the transition? Yeah, it's been, you know, as as, as you say, it's very, very different. Um, you know, the the Welsh women was a was a was a good experience. It was um, you know I, I coached in, in in men's for you know fifteen sixteen years, and then uh, the opportunity to coach at a World Cup was um, was uh, exciting and a uh, different challenge, a real good coaching challenge. Um, I'd say the the biggest difference is the the difference between your best players and your and your um, your, your not so best players for to say a nice way in the squad. So being able to pitch pitch what you want at different levels and um, that was that was a challenge but like I say it was a it was a good one that, that I enjoyed and the well the country certainly got behind the the World Cup it was a, it was a great atmosphere down here and you'll they'll get behind you too down there uh, in Highlanders country as well as you'll find out very shortly they're very proud down there but you're part of a a really quite a new look coaching setup how's it all meshed together with Clark Dermody yeah, it's um, like I say, four, uh, four or four new guys into into roles, and and to be fair to Derms, you know he's uh, he's done really well on on our connection as a as a coaching group, and um, he's given us you know real autonomy in our in our areas. But um, we've uh, we've settled in well, you know we're we're, we're working well as a as a coaching group and, and co-coaching and and really trying to drive each other's um, well drive each other's learning and understanding around how we want to play the game and. Um, you know, I think that the players have bought in well to it, and you know we're just excited, I suppose, to, uh, to see how it how it looks on uh, on Friday night. Um, uh, Richard, Crusaders. Richard, uh, we're we're going to focus on on your particular role, which is of course driving the attack for uh, the Highlands. Yep. Is you working alongside Ricky Flutie in that? Yes, yes. So Flutes um, will, will, uh, is backs and skills coach, and obviously I'm. I'm the attack coach, and you know, I was lucky enough to to work with Ricky uh, when he was at London Irish um, many moons ago when he when he first came over. So you know, we had a, a relationship anyway, and um, it's great actually, you know, reconnecting with him and and working with him, and 
you know, he, he buys into, into my philosophy and how we want to play the game. And, you know, we bounce off uh, each other in terms, of, in terms of making sure that that philosophy goes from top to bottom in terms of the, the whole way through the attack into the backs and into, in, into the skills. So, you know, we work closely together um, and, um, yeah, we've got a good relationship. It's, uh, it's fun uh, connecting back with him, to be fair. He's a good man. Well, you have Aaron Smith uh, as uh, one of your um, attack pivots, of course, or one of, one of your generals, uh, in his last year for the Highlanders. So uh, you couldn't get much more experience uh, in that role. No, it's, uh, it's awesome. No, I'm, I'm privileged to, to be able to work with him. Um, you know, he's such a, uh, an awesome servant for the club and you know, he'll, he'll be going full handy to, uh, to, to finish off his obviously career here um, uh, or his time here, sorry, um, uh, with, with, with as much success as we can. So, you know, I'm looking forward to, to, to really getting to, to work with him and, uh, and using his, you know, outstanding skill set, you know, it will really help our, our attacking game with the, the wits that he can put on the ball with his, uh, you know, one of the, one of the best passes in the game. You've also managed to uh, drag in Ben Smith a, a little bit for some work on the back three. And, of course, I guess from your point of view, that's where some attack is going to come from. Yeah, you, know, you, you only look at it, it's almost around about 40% of, of your, your possessions come from either um, kick or turnover. So, you know, it's an area that obviously Bender um, had outstanding, um, well, he was, he was the expert at when he was playing. And to be able to tap into his knowledge in that area and for, for, our, for our back three guys, especially our younger guys, to be able to tap into his knowledge and, and, and how he sees the game, again, it's only going to benefit us as a, as a at first year coaching group, but secondly, the, you know, the players, they'll, they'll benefit massively from his knowledge. Uh, Richard, uh, most of uh, your coaching work has been um, in Northern Hemisphere rugby, of course, uh, predominantly. So uh, what are the, the styles of attack that you think you might be able to introduce from that form of rugby down here with the Highlanders? Yeah, well, I think um, you know, a couple of key things that we're, that we're focusing on is, um, is around where, where different spaces are in the, on the field and, and making sure that we're looking, um, you know, looking through teams, we're looking around teams and looking over teams. So... I think there, there's, there's been a big emphasis um, from, from my side being able to, to be a triple threat team, so a kick-run-pass team, and, and I think that's uh, the big influence um, that I've had through my, through my coaching career, um, let's say up in the, the Northern Hemisphere and from the different coaches that, that I've managed to, to work with. So um, that, that's uh, been a, a key philosophy for us that hopefully we'll, we'll be able to see over, over the coming weeks. You've got a number of options at, at 10 this year, and one or two uh, are coming quite, uh, quite a distance to play uh, for the Highlanders. Tell us, tell us a wee bit about your, your, your number 10 role and who you're going to base a lot of that around. Well, you know, it's, it's great that, um, firstly, you know, uh, Mitch Hunt's back, back fit and uh, he's ready to, to hit the ground running um, for the season. You know, obviously the, the, the team missed him, unfortunately, last year. And um, we had young Cam Miller as well, who, who's done well at... Uh, uh, um, MPC level that that will uh, that will get a sniff and Marty Banks uh, you know he's got plenty of experience and then obviously we've brought in um, Freddie Burns for, over from uh, from the UK you know he's just obviously won the won the competition um, uh, with Leicester Tigers last year so again he's going to bring a great amount of um, firstly game management with with the style of, of play that he's played but also you know anyone that's watched him uh, through through the years he's got a, a massive amount of flair that I think. Um, Will uh, balance itself nicely with with the style of play that we want to we want to get into. So you know, all the guys will be um, will be getting a getting a crack in there in the next couple of weeks, and um, hopefully uh, you know th th those guys will put their hand up and we'll have a selection dilemma.
Well, yeah, that would be great if you can uh, build that kind of depth around those key positions, uh, including um, your outside backs. And uh, there's an interesting selection uh, who's going to take part in the first half of uh, the game this weekend uh, against the Crusaders. And Martin Bogardo, tell us a wee bit about Martin Bogardo. Yeah, so um, again, someone that um, you know who's been been tracked here for, for for a while, and I've actually known about him for for um, a couple of years now. He's um, He's a big, uh, tall, strong, physical, um, physical uh, winger, and very, very, very good in the air. And um, he will challenge the, the defensive line with his physicality. Um, he, he's come in, and um, you know he'll he's uh, he gives a bit of a point of difference um, to, to the player profile that, that we had in the in the wing slot. Um, so it just allows us maybe in, in different different um, different games and different styles to to have. Um, a little bit more power um, and aerial um, aerial ability, um, at, you know, when we cho- when we choose him. So, uh, just to, just to give us a, a, a bit more detail about your role in particular, how, how long uh, in a typical coaching week? How how much focus or how much time do you get with your backs? Um, well, I say backs and team, like, you know, attack. You know, we, we're pretty. We're trying to fit fifty fifty, but. You know, if you look at uh, a normal week of a Monday, it's a pretty pretty low level interval. That's where you know the majority of of the attack um, sort of strategy gets gets put in through the week. So you're looking at you're looking at a good hour or so on uh, on on a day one, and then through the rest of through the rest of the week, you're just trying to almost polish and 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 practice those those opportunities uh, or those those um, plays and, and and opportunities that you think you're going to get at the weekend. You, you're trying to practice that under under a wee bit of pressure. Um, and it, but a key attribute that we've we've or key key thing that Derms wants this year is to really focus on our on our skill. So um, regardless of of uh, win lose draw, there'll there'll be a big focus through the week um, on on maintaining and and uh, and improving our skill level across the board. To you know we want to play an expansive brand of rugby, and to be able to do that, we've got to have um, decent skill sets one to fifteen. So not just the backs, but the forwards. Um, you know we want them to be able to handle the ball in the wide channel and. Uh, cause cause teams trouble. So a big big focus through the week will be around our, our skill sets. Right, this uh, first hit out is against the Crusaders. You've named two uh, sides for uh, a half a piece. Um, and within those, do we get any clues to combinations, or are you, are you still just uh, searching yourself? Yeah, no. Like like you said earlier, it's a brand new or four new coaches into into the. Uh, into the setup, so yeah, we've had eight weeks now with them to, to see them bash each other. So, um, in a way, yeah, we've 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 almost had these these two guys, these two teams, going against each other for for those eight weeks. So, it, you know, they've they've worked on um, their connections and stuff through through that period. So, you know, it only seemed right just to keep them together for for those games. So, um, you know, everyone's got an opportunity, um, and they will have over the over over the next couple of weeks. So. You know, we're we're definitely with a clean set of eyes. You know, we're, we we want to see guys put their hand up, and um, you know, there's 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 no real uh, you know last last year was last year, and they, this year they've got an opportunity to to get the to get the shirt on. Well, with that uh, change of personnel um, in the coaching department as well as in the playing ranks, of course, Richard, I suppose you can draw a line in the sand on last year. So, what are your expectations uh, this year? Have you set any, or are you pretty open-minded about it? Um, no, well, and to be fair, you know, we've we, we've challenged ourselves to, to to make the playoffs, and um, you know, if we if we make the playoffs, then you you're, you you know you've got a chance to to get to the big dance at, at the end. So that's uh, that's our, our focus on you know trying to accrue enough points through through the through the round robin to 
to get ourselves in uh, in with a chance to, to win the thing. So in order to win it, you've got to be in the playoffs. So that's the, the focus for us. Okay, Richard, uh, I know you've got to head off to a meeting now, so uh, thanks very much for your time this morning. Uh, all the best uh, in the early stages of your stint down there in the Highlanders. Uh, let's hope you get some good times, eh? Cheers, me. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Richard Whiffin there, who's uh, in charge of the attack side of things for the Highlanders. And as he said, they have um, uh, a really new coaching group uh, under Clark uh, Dermody. Uh, Chris Boyd is in there overlooking things as well. Uh, and uh, Ricky Flutie, they have, uh, have got a number of players uh, who or former players that we're familiar with uh, in the group as well. But uh, bringing in the likes of uh, Ben Smith, looking like uh, they're leaving no stone unturned in their build-up uh, the Highlanders this season. So uh, exciting times for them. And of course, yes, uh, they hit out, have a hit out against uh, Razors Crusaders. Uh, he's named uh, two uh, different sides for two different halves as well. So. Uh, and he's welcoming back uh, the likes of Jack Goodhue. Uh, he's welcoming back um, Tom Moody as well uh, and a number of other uh, key players. So uh, a really an important time, really important time uh, this pre-season, so the pre-season side of things. Uh, it is uh, 9.14 here on SENZ. Succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, t- talking about uh, Razor Robertson, um, of course he's been in the news again yesterday, it seems that he and New Zealand Rugby are at odds over the upcoming uh, All Black announcement, or is there to be one, when will it be? Uh, different wavelength by the sounds of things, uh, yet Razor sounded uh, real um, upbeat didn't he, he sounded uh, pretty happy about things, uh, but his uh, real job of work at the moment is still with the uh, Crusaders, mentioned um, Joe Moody coming back into the side, of course injured All Black uh, along with uh, another one who's very key to them and Jack Goodhue. So uh, what does uh, Razor make of his uh, squad and uh, particularly looking forward to this weekend? Moods is looking great. First pre-season, like big full pre-season he's had for, I think he said eight years, maybe even longer. Um, and Jackie G's knee's great. Um, spends a lot of time on that game ready and he's an incredible professional, but uh, look, he's getting back to um, the great feat and the man that we know, you know, that when his body's good, he's as good as any centre in the world. Yeah, Mitch has been good too, you know, like we've had to manage his time on feet, um, his recovery, so he can build him up so he gets the load right, so that knee doesn't blow out, but he's he's, he's been exceptional. Look, you just realise that he, how good he is when he when his body's right, he accelerates into a lot of contacts, and a few boys have been <laughs> looking at the corner of her eye because he, he lives just above the knee, you know, his, his tackle height and um, intense pretty pretty special. <laughs> Taha's fitted right in. Uh, he's a good pro, good young pro. Oh, like his skill set um, and his mindset that he's come in with has been bang on, you know. Uh, him and Fer- Ferg and Richie have done a, a great job in, in getting him ready for his opportunity and well his first one's this pre-season game so um, he's been a great pickup for us here. Yeah, Christian's a great athlete, um, good pro, smart, smart man. Um, he's fitted right in, you know, like he's um, he's worked really hard and it's just good he can concentrate on rugby, you know, he's obviously finishes his dentistry degree, which is a hell of a setup. Wow, when he went through it, I was, I was impressed. Just to, well, I should say just, but a few of the boys are lining up to um, get a few new grill, I think. <laughs> but he's uh, um, he's a hell of a man. He's smart and he, look, he's, he's just what we needed, you know, to that para athlete and it's a little bit of 
Jordan Telfer, a Pete Summer combination in him. It's going to be good. Oh, you just hear those names, don't you? And you think, here we go again. Here we go again. And he's uh, he's in. Uh, he seems in a great frame and a great space. Uh, Razor, as uh, they look at that that game this weekend. So you throw uh, those names in against uh, the Highlanders, uh, who of course uh, welcome back Putty Putty Parkinson, a giant of a man. Uh, one of the biggest uh, men playing rugby in New Zealand and uh, when he's on form he had so much strength and uh, physicality to uh, any side so uh, alongside Josh Dixon um, they uh, look to have things um, pretty solid if they can stay fit and that's the thing they're going to have attrition um, they're going to have a lot of injuries all these squads but it's the depth uh, which is quite crucial uh, to building uh, so they look strong there and uh, Marino uh, Makali Tu'u looking to build on uh, the impressive season that he had last year. But uh, just looking at uh, the back line that uh, they could possibly put together, uh, if they put it, um, Aaron Smith at halfback, and then they've got uh, Mitch Hunt or uh, the plethora of number 10 options uh, that they've got available to them, including Freddie Burns. And you've got uh, John Noreki, uh, Thomas Umanga Gentian, Josh Timu, uh, Jonah Lowe and Sam Gilbert. That's uh, basically the back line for the second 40. And now if they can mould that in uh, under the guidance of uh, Richard Whiffen who we've just heard from, um, the likes of uh, Ricky Flutie in there as well with Ben Smith um, also working on the back three where it uh, all starts from particularly in terms of counter attack uh, then uh, they look good they, they, uh, they, look, they look good on paper anyway the Highlanders to begin the season uh, the other thing that uh, happened uh, apart from uh, team namings yesterday was more in the field of uh, basketball in the NBA and uh, the world lined up and they turned up uh, apparently uh, I didn't actually see the I didn't see the shot itself but uh, a lot of people uh, Logan spent a lot of money to get some good seats to witness a bit of history some of the money that was spent to witness history there is just unbelievable it's unfathomable really when you sort of look at courtside seats uh, at, at the arena there crypto can go for typically 75,000 normally uh, for that game in particular once you throw in Ticketmaster's uh, ridiculous fees as well you're looking at eight, 1,000 and uh, 181,000 sorry uh, 500 so pretty big money of course I mean it was just it was to come it was either this game or against the Bucks on the road, and you just knew he wanted to do it at home. He only had to chase 36 points to overtake Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He now sits three points ahead of him. The cool thing is, Smithy, is that he's done it in fewer games. Kareem played 1,560. LeBron is still going, still looking in pretty good shape, I might add, 1,410. And this is how that moment sounded. Coming to the end of the third quarter, LeBron James is shot in history, and there it is! LeBron stands alone! The NBA's all-time scoring record now belongs to LeBron James. Man, everybody that's ever been a part of this run with me the last 20 years, 20 plus years, I just want to say I thank you so much because I wouldn't be me without y'all. All y'all help, all y'all passion, all y'all sacrifices helped me get to this point. And to the NBA, to Adam Silver, to the late, great David Stern, I thank you guys so much for allowing me to be a part of something I've always dreamed about. And um, I would never, ever in a million years uh, dreamt this even better than what it is tonight. So, man, thank you guys. 
I'm sure anyone that heard that yesterday, Smithy, was probably listening and thinking, are they going to beep it? Yes, I did. I don't want to pay a fine or get in trouble like TNT would. But they'll happily, happily pay that fine, I think, Smithy, for being able to broadcast such historic moment in basketball. Yeah, it was an interesting uh, uh, 38 points that he got in the match. And yeah, as you say, he had to get to 36 uh, to break the record. The TAB had a booster market on it. Um, and they limited, I think, the bets to $50 maximum. But uh, it was, uh, you just kind of thought it was written in the stars uh, to do it at home in front of that crowd. Um, and uh, Abdul Karim Jabbar was there. And this is a, a fact that I think I heard yesterday, um, that uh, J- Karim Jabbar, uh, he only scored one three-pointer. Is that correct? Would that be right in his whole career? In his entire one career. Uh, you would be right. Yeah, <laughs> he attempted 18 in his career and he only landed one. Uh, so he wasn't much of a three-point shooter. So the fact that he obviously uh, made his living more in the paint, that's incredible. But the moment itself, Smithy, there is a photo that's been going around on social media where he's taken the shot. It's going to go down as one of those photos in sporting history. A bit like Michael Jordan when he's going for the leap and he's up in the air. And it's just something that's going to – you'll see it everywhere for the rest of time, to be honest. But the thing that people are taking away from it is that it's not just LeBron's shot. There's all the people behind him on the baseline there that have spent all that money for tickets. And they all have their phones in front of them, except for Nike founder Phil Knight and a a lady sitting behind him. Everyone else had their phones in front of them. So they all got it. You can't do much about it. It's not like you could say – just for that shot, can you make sure your, your phones are turned off? Incidentally, um, whilst it was a great afternoon for LeBron James, or a great evening for LeBron James and all his family and friends and fans, uh, still an average night for the Lakers. They actually lost the game, 133-130, to, uh, to OKC. So that was a bit of a bummer. Yeah, and the weird thing is, Smithy, so that happened, about, I think it was about 10 seconds left on the clock in the third quarter. Everything stopped. They had the whole presentation. Kareem came out, passed the ball over to LeBron, and then they gave Le- LeBron the mic. That all goes on for about 10 minutes. There's still a fourth quarter to play. <laughs> How crazy really? is that? Yeah. Would you not? I, I mean, I know it's all in the moment. It's it's such an incredible thing to witness. But why not get through the game first? Yeah, that would have been nice. I was going to say, so that would have taken this thing out of everything. So it's a hell of a good time out for OKC to re, uh, readdress things. This reminds me when uh, Richard Hadley got his 400th test wicket at Christchurch uh, when um, Mr. Roger Butnagar came out, I think, with 400 red roses during the game. The game stopped and he came out with 400 red, red roses. So, um, yeah, that was quite interesting too. But I, I can sort of relate to what happened there yesterday. But... Uh, I think it, it was all about LeBron, wasn't it? The whole thing was about LeBron. I mean, it would have been interesting if he had have needed four. If he had have needed four points and he got them in the first two minutes, would they have stopped the game? I guess they would have stopped the game right Definitely. there. Definitely. <laughs> it was, all, build, it was all building up to this moment. It was, and now we're past it, and now he's just going to keep racking up that record for himself. And who's to say if that's ever going to be surpassed again? Okay, rightio. Uh, interesting text in here we've just got to um, uh, on this. This is Chris. Um, and, oh, sorry, sorry, PJ. Uh, cheers from PJ. G Smithy, if you go back to the Razor press conference, 
You might have heard that you might have seen this or noticed this yourself because uh, you study these things, uh, Logan. The female reporter asked about Razor's coaching future, and the answer was uh, the first word Razor said was Buller. She never mentioned the All Blacks. Razor never said All Blacks. He said New Zealand rugby is expected in the next few days announcement on his coaching future. Again, no reference to the All Blacks. He's going to coach short term. He's going to coach Fiji short term. Are the reporters really that stupid? Razor must be laughing his head off, like many of us. What do you reckon about that? That's an interesting one. It's 9.30 here on SEN. Thanks for that text, PJ. That's given uh, plenty of um, provocation for thought. I can promise you that. 9.30, uh, here's the news with Araha. Right, the Super Smash record-making win streak of the Wellington Blaze was broken by the Auckland Hearts at the weekend, but that impressive run has placed them in the box seat for this year's championship, and later today they will find out who they will be facing. And joining us uh, now to talk more about the, that match coming up and the, the squad that he's been able to put together as a very experienced uh, Wellington cricketer and uh, coach of the Wellington Blaze, Lance Dry. Lance, uh, thanks for your time this morning. Morning, Ian. Thanks for that. Hey, uh, Lance, uh, hell of a history you've had uh, in Wellington cricket. So what led you to uh, the role of coaching the, this uh, amazing squad that you've put together, the Wellington Blaze? Uh, well, it was probably more fortune than good management on my behalf. I, I decided, that, oh, I don't know, four and a half years ago that I'd had enough of working in an office so threw my hat in the ring for the Wellington Firebirds assistant coach role, which I did for two years. And then on the back of that, the, the Blaze head coach role came up. So I gave it a crack, got given the chance, and, and it's, um, it's been a fantastic opportunity and experience so far. Well, you've had a hell of a run of form. Um, so tell us, tell us a wee bit about that. You, you've obviously got your, your star players and that, but you have to live without them quite often because of other commitments. So you've managed to build some, some very good depth. Yeah, we've done... We have built a bit of depth. We have, it's quite a tricky situation because we often end up sort of being a squad of two teams. So it's been the credit to the, to the players that are consistently there to be able to manage doing different roles. You know, a lot of them slide up and down the order and, the, and their bowling opportunities come and go as the white ferns come and go. So... It's something that they've become a little bit accustomed to, which makes it a fraction easier. Uh, and we've managed to slowly over the last year or two introduce a little bit of new blood and a, and a, and a freshness into the team too. So uh, in terms of Wellington women's cricket um, as an entity, how strong is it looking? It's a, it's a hard one to gauge. And it's, um, but we have five senior women's teams, or premier women's teams. Uh, it was six the previous season, so two of them have, have merged to, to enable the, the strength to remain. It's growing. It's one of those things where it's going to take time. I think there's probably a really strong young generation of uh, sort of 15 to 17, 18-year-old cricketers coming through Wellington. We managed to win both the under-19 national tournament and then there was a North Island under-17 tournament, which, which our age group team also won. So, so there's a lot of promise there. It's just 
you know, that sort of development can't really be sped up without games of cricket, and, and that's the, I think, the thing that probably every major association struggles with being able to find is, a, is enough games of cricket for the players. Okay, so uh, let's let's look at um, perhaps um, the, the squad you've got uh, at the moment. Of course, you have to to live without um, the superstars who are on the other side of the world. Um, who are your key players? Who, who, who are the players that have stood up for you in their absence? Well, look, Rebecca Burns is... I think she's probably now comfortably our leading run scorer in this competition. And, and she's done remarkably well, considering she's had a, a couple of, I guess, different roles. She started off as purely a pinch hitter within the, the power play at the start of the campaign when, when all our players were around, and then she's um, moved up to opening full-time for the remainder of the campaign. So she's managed to, I guess, take what she was doing in that, that power-hitting role and, and, and carry it on through through an opening position. So she's done really well. Probably one of the shining lights is Lee Kasperick's again. Like Lee has, once again, she'll be first or second in the wicket-taking stats. She, you know, she led it last year. So her consistency is fantastic, and she's made you know, really valuable contributions with the bat. And then probably another person who's come out of nowhere is Nicole Beard, who is a left-arm orthodox that we, Luke and I saw a little bit of at the end of last season and thought that there was there was something there and that we could we could get a lot of overs out of her if we put a bit of work in it. And she's come on fantastically and uh, really developed her, her ability to bowl with the new ball and, and through the middle of the innings. In terms of uh, the competition um, and, uh, of course, the grand final coming up this weekend, uh, you've had a, a, a pretty good history, obviously, because your win ra- ratio is so high against uh, the Magicians and the Sparks. So have you got a preference there or a, a, a side you'd rather face or, or just you're going to wait and see? Oh, I don't think we do have a preference. I think they both have different qualities and they've, you know, they, on their day they're very, very tricky to get over. Uh, obviously, the Sparks, with the addition of their two overseas players, two left-arm spinners who can both get handy runs later in the innings, that's made them a, a different proposition to what they were for the, for the first sort of three quarters of the competition. Um, and obviously, Canterbury have been relying heavily on, on Amy Sathwaite and Kate Anderson to score most of their runs, but to their credit, they have been scoring most of their runs and, and their consistency has, um, has been what's probably enabled them to get in the position they're in. So I think that's a really even game. Um, Otago obviously got the wood on them in the last two, so sometimes it's hard to get three in a row over opposition. Lance, uh, you mentioned Lee Kasparich before, and uh, you know every now and then uh, the, the White Ferns name a, a squad to go away and her name is missing from it yet again. And people text in, quite a lot of people text in and say, why not? Why, what are her aspirations now? I notice she's put her name forward for uh, the women's IPL and uh, I would imagine she'll get picked up as, as well uh, and make a bit of money out of the game, which would be terrific for her. But w- what is the issue there? I don't know. I scratch my head and shake my head too, Ian, when, when I read the squads um, and, and probably get as many, if not more, texts asking that question. In terms of these aspirations, they haven't changed. Uh, She's still highly motivated to represent New Zealand. Uh, if anything, she's getting better. Uh, her cricket is really coming on. She's played a lot of cricket, and she's got to a stage where she's 
she understands her game very well. Um, and being a spinner, she's probably still got four to five really, really good years in international cricket. So you'd think that this is the time to strike with her. I would. Uh, I'm looking back on, uh, on a result you had uh, a week or so ago. Did you bring a couple of players, or have you brought a couple of players over from overseas? We do. We've got two um, two Australian players out of um, out of Brisbane. Um, Laura Harris and Charlie Knott. So both um, reason. Well, Laura's a very established Australian domestic cricketer with probably the most explosive power and just about in the women's game. She you know, she scored for a 60-something off 20-odd balls in a game against Canterbury two games ago. So she's a, an exceptional talent. And then Charlie Knott's a, an earmarked as a, one of the next big things in Australian cricket. She's, a, she's only 20 and she bats beautifully, bowls great offspin and, and feels like a demon. So, so they've made a huge... I guess, positive impact to our team to replace the five white turns that are, that are obviously over in South Africa. They don't make much uh, money, the, um, the women domestic cricketers uh, in this country, so I would imagine uh, a lot of these girls have either got jobs or they're students, etc. So this is very much a, a part-time thing as such? It, it is. It's, uh, there's been really good improvements made, especially this season, with the, the matching now of um, of match fees in domestic cricket for the men and women, so you know, that's, that enables a bit more expectation and a bit more time to be able to put towards cricket for for the players. It's still a long way behind. So you know, half our team either work or they or they're students. So there still is a a lot of juggling going on and a lot of I guess time management required to be able to get yourself ready and get time off work and all those sorts of things. What about from uh, from your point of view, Lance? What what are your aspirations? I mean, obviously it's worked uh, with this particular group. What about going forward for you? Oh, look, I'm, I'm one of those guys that would take on any challenge and be keen to, to give anything credit, but I also like to do a great job of what I'm, what I'm involved in in the present. So at, at present... We've got this season to complete. I've got another year on my contract. So it's a case of making sure that I'm continually to enjoy what I'm doing. And then, you know, any like everyone I imagine who does domestic cricket would like the opportunity to do international cricket. So I don't, I would never not consider that. That would be, a, you know, a real honour to be able to at some point progress towards looking after a national team. Okay, so... With that in mind, uh, I guess you've got a, a relatively uh, keen eye on what's coming up in South Africa. Do you rate our chances uh, in this T20 World Cup? Uh, we'll need a lot of things. We'll need a lot of players in form, is what I'd say. I'd say we we would be probably seeded fourth or fifth, and that's about right. Uh, I don't know if we've got the firepower throughout the order to match the better teams. Like last night we obviously got turned over pretty comfortably by England. Um, you know, they chased down our 114 and 14 overs. Uh, and, and that's our third defeat in warm-up games to them in a row. So I, I would need, you know, our 
you know, big guns to really fire and fire consistently. We can drop a game. If we drop that first game to Aussie, that's not the end of the world. You know, if we can squeeze our way into a semi and get to those one-off game situations and we're capable of beating teams, we just, we just need to have a great day and we need to force the opposition to have a slightly off day. Would it be fair to say we're just a, a little bit top-heavy and too reliant on the, on the, the Bateses? Um, <clears throat> it's been a while for Susie Bates, I've got to say. Um, the Sophie Devines, the Millie Kurz, are we just a little top-heavy there, or, or do you think we're the likes of Maddie Green and that are starting to become a little bit more forthright on the side? I think you could look at it that way. I think there's probably a tendency within T20 cricket in general for most teams to be top-heavy. Uh, and they load it up at the top and and look for those players to come off. You're right about, we do probably then lack the ability to recover if we get in bad positions um, and, and to recover at a scoring rate that enables us to get a competitive total. There's been obviously a few experiments and, and some younger players given an opportunity, which is really good for them. Whether they're ready just yet, um, especially in World Cup situations, when we really probably require a little bit more experience and a bit more know-how, uh, well, I guess that's going to be left to be seen. Yeah, I think Australia, if we if we could knock over Australia in that first match, incidentally, they lost uh, overnight to Ireland uh, in uh, a, yeah, a warm-up match. Yeah, so, uh, no, that's I guess not going to make them happy, though. <laughs> No, it's not going to make them easy at all, aren't you, dead right? I think it'll make them a little bit more determined. They won't slip up again in a hurry. Hey, mate, great, great catching up with you. Um, terrific uh, record that uh, you've, you've managed to, to put together with your ladies and uh, all the very best uh, for what's coming up at the weekend. Brilliant. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Yeah, yeah cheers. Uh, Lance Dry there. Uh, Lance Dry had probably more records in Wellington club cricket than any man I know. I think he probably has got a lot in terms of longevity, wickets, etc., uh, and now, of course, he's turned his hand to coaching and is uh, pretty damn successful at that. That's a good squad. Very understated, wasn't he? Uh, not over. Uh, some coaches are um, quite a brilliant in, uh, in what they have to say, but uh, pretty quietly spoken man just getting on and doing his job. So uh, look out for that name, Lance Dry, in the coaching ranks, uh, male and female, uh, in the, the years to come. 9.46 here on SENZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold it. Know when to fold it. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. Know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, yesterday's multi is uh, still going, but uh, not going so well. In fact, um, it, as we speak, uh, Manchester United are trailing Leeds United 1-0. Uh, they're in the 51st minute of the first half. They're having eight minutes of extra time because of the histrionics in the game. It's just ridiculous, the feigning of injuries. And, uh, I just thought we were over that, but we're not quite clearly. Eight minutes of extra time with players going down all the time. Uh, so yesterday, yeah, we got the Knicks up, uh, we got the Phoenix Suns up. Uh, Man U to beat Leeds at this stage, not looking likely. Uh, today, Washington Wizards to beat the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, there's two games of cricket involving uh, Otago. So I take the Otago Volts to beat the Brave. Um, that's the Northern District's uh, side these days, the Brave, at $1.87. And the Otago Sparks, I think they'll win that uh, match over... 
the Canterbury Magicians at a dollar ninety. So dollar fifty five for the basketball into a dollar eighty seven, dollar ninety, a five dollar fifty, five dollar fifty return for that particular multi. We look uh, forward to that racing, incidentally today at Invercargill, uh, and also the Greyhounds at Addington. Uh, we've got uh, an interesting next hour coming up. We're going to be talking to Ben Gardner. Ben's an Aussie, but uh, he is coaching the uh, NRL Maori All Stars, of course. And for the first time, that uh, Indigenous game will be played on New Zealand soil and very aptly in uh, Rotorua. So we'll ask uh, Ben about that uh, coming up shortly. Uh, yeah, 1 0 uh, Leeds over Manchester United just towards the end of uh, that first half. Back shortly. Are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, coming up to 10 o'clock, news coming through this morning, of course, that uh, veteran hooker Dane Coles has joined the growing list of All Blacks. Finishing up at the end of the year, uh, he's uh, been a Rugby World Cup winner, of course, and uh, a Player of the Year nominee for World Rugby. Uh, he will retire, uh, and uh, that will bring him uh, an end to a career of uh, 17 years at the top level for Wellington, the Hurricanes, uh, Maori All Blacks, and uh, the All Blacks. Uh, so he's going to uh, join uh, Aaron Smith, Bowden Barrett, Brodie Retallick, and uh, Richie Moonga, uh, who will also step away at the end of this year. So uh, a big, big exodus. Uh, Dane Cole's very uh, proud Nati Poro descent uh, and uh, raised on the Kapiti coast has always stayed faithful to Poniki uh, and also to uh, Wellington Rugby so uh, he will be sorely missed. Incidentally uh, Dane Cole sits third equal alongside Adi Savia on uh, 100 test points so that's 20 tries. Have any idea who the two in front of him would be Logan? Any idea at all who uh, would be ahead of uh, Adi Savia and Dane Coles. Forward scoring tries. Oh, forward scoring tries. Oh, no, mate. Woodcock? No. No, mate. Think, think, think absolutely within the square here. Within, oh, mate. See, you're putting me on the spot well before Stumped even starts. I'm not ready for this. Yeah, yeah, have you heard of Richie McCaw? Oh, yes. <laughs> have, you, have you heard of Karen Reid? Vaguely. Yeah, well, there you go. You see, that's thinking inside the square. Two of the greats of all time. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is 10.03 and the Warriors get their uh, NRL pre-season underway tonight at Mount Smart Stadium against the West Tigers. But there's another fixture on the footy calendar this weekend that many fans look forward to each year. It's the NRL's All-Star with the Indigenous Stars taking on uh, the Maori Stars in both women's and men's games, of course. And for the first time it is being held in New Zealand at Rotorua International Stadium. The women kicking off at 3.30pm and uh, the men at 545 Great chance to welcome to the show the coach of the uh, Maori All-Stars side, Ben Gardner. Good morning, Ben. Morning, mate. How are you? Oh, I'm damn good, actually. Uh, I'll tell you what, um, I'll bet you're having quite a special time this week in Rotorua, particularly with uh, all the cultural activities, etc., leading into this game. Uh, it's brilliant down here, actually. Um, 
we arrived on Monday, uh, flew over Monday morning, and on arrival, we had a brilliant porphyry with the uh, New Zealand Māori Rugby League uh, board. Uh, that was a great start to what's been a really good week. Um, we've had a, a brilliant welcome uh, down by Rotorua Lake uh, with the council and where we welcome the Indigenous team uh, across to New Zealand, which was a really moving occasion where the 1973 uh, Indigenous team also came along, uh, who are here celebrating, um, you know, for that game that they played in. And uh, it, it's just a really emotional time and a, a brilliant time that's exciting for myself and the players. I was going to say, you know, for, for an Australian, um, this is a, a totally new uh, ball game. How, how hard have you had to work to, to get to know uh, the cultural side of, of um, you know, of, of the Maori people, the Maori race? Yeah, I've worked really hard at it. Um, to be honest with you, Smithy, I've, I've put a lot of work in in the background. I knew that I was uh, going to do this role for quite a few months now. So um, I was lucky enough to work with the team as an assistant coach for three years with Dave Kidwell. Uh, who's a good mate of mine, and he invited me in. And, you know, the people have always been uh, very uh, invitational towards me in, in regards to the culture and being involved in what's going on. And that connection obviously then gave me the opportunity to be the head coach of the team. And uh, so I, I thought that I, I owed it to myself and to the group to make sure that, I, you know, I was pretty well covered off on what was going on culture-wise. So uh, I've done a lot of research and a lot of work in the background uh, with a number of cultural advisors that... Uh, the Māori Rugby League have provided for me and, um, you know, I'd like to think that I, I've learnt a lot, uh, not enough yet, but heading in the right direction. Uh, that's terrific. Uh, I've, I've got to ask, what, what's, what's the different feel then? Um, because I'm, I, I guess a lot of it is culturally, culturally based, but the feel this week in, compar in comparison to perhaps uh, uh, the build-up to an NRL match? Uh, there's a different connection. Uh, I think that an NRL match, you have a connection uh, that's built over time with a group through, a, you know, a large preseason where you've worked really hard together um, to get to, you know, that first game. Whereas this particular game, uh, it's always been the case over the last few years as well. There's a connection or vibe on arrival, and I think that that's that cultural um, connection that comes with being involved in culture and footy. So there's a real synergy between the two when they come into camp. Um, and a boys, the boys just click off straight away. And, you know, it probably helps that we jump into a number of cultural activities. We jump straight into the boys doing their pepiha or learning their pepiha if they haven't done that before. And there's a real level of respect provided between um, the boys that have done it and the boys that haven't done it. So um, straight away, respect is built. And, you know, there's an enjoyment in learning around those activities. And, you know, it, it's just a different vibe, a special vibe that, you know, you don't feel in an NRL club every day. Well, you'd have touched on some of this because you've actually, you know, obviously been involved with the Kiwis, Kiwis with uh, David Kidwell, uh, uh, Michael Maguire, etc. But not to this extent, surely. Uh, no, not to this extent. It, it, even when we were in Australia over the last few years, um, we had some connection to our culture, but um, not as much connection as what we've had coming back to New Zealand. Like um, the the welcomes have been so welcoming and. The boys have been so excited to be involved in it, like be, being able to go to the Marae and uh, listen to the words that are said there. And, you know, for myself, how eloquently that the words flow off the tongue of the people that are speaking them. Um, it's just spine tingling for me. And, you know, a number of the players who haven't been able to feel that level of culture in Australia can come back home and um, really involve themselves in it and, you know, indulge themselves in it. So, yeah, it's brilliant for everyone. In terms of your coaching group, who have you got or how have you split up the roles this week? 
Uh, yeah, so I've got my, myself. Uh, obviously, I, I tend to look after the defence in this camp, so I'm doing that. It's a bit of a difference for me because I tend to look after the attack at, um, at club level, which is good, a good change to keep me invigorated. Um, I then have Adam Blair, who's working with me as well. Uh, everyone knows Adam as a player, but Adam's a brilliant up-and-coming coach as well. He's coaching a junior team at the Warriors, um, his first real season of getting into that. So it was an opportunity for him to be involved uh, in this camp. He's doing um, the attack for me. Uh, and, and the reason that we wanted to get him in, involved was obviously he's got that real close connection to his Māori heritage. He speaks fluent Māori, um, but at the same time, he's got the connection to the footy. He's got the experience, not only in this camp, but also with the Kiwis. So he brings that experience in. And then uh, I've got Isaac Luke, who's working in a high performance and coaching role um, with us. So he's getting some learnings in both areas. Uh, so he works uh, at a school up in Queensland where... Uh, he provides coaching and mentoring for young players. So, you know, I've got two guys of great experience in terms of playing, but uh, we thought it was a good opportunity to try and build, build their experience around high-performance coaching. It's always really different when you're a coach to a player. So uh, we thought that it was a good idea to get those guys in and give them that experience. And I've got a number of other staff around me that, you know, have been with us with this team for a few years. And, you know, everyone's putting in the hard work to make sure that the boys are in the win zone come uh, Saturday night. There's been uh, a lot of uh, disruption well, from the outside looking in anyway in terms of uh, playing personnel, some pulling out for various reasons. Um, how, how now settled is the group and, and now that you're, you know, you're only a couple of days out? Uh, the group is really settled. Um, I think disruption is only a matter of perspective or mindset. Uh, if you take the appropriate mindset to what's happening and the, the mindset for us has been that the guys that are here are the guys that are going to do the job for us. So we're not worried about what's happened before. We're only worried about the present and worried about what we're going to do in the future come Saturday night. So the guys are really settled. Uh, the team's really growing nicely together. Uh, as I said, we've we built connection through being on the field, uh, but also through our culture. So the connection we build through the culture is obviously added to what we do on the field. And we've had some real fun on the field over the last uh, couple of days. Uh, we've built some, you know, good organisation around our attacking style and, you know, some good talk and movement around our defence. But as you know, when you go into a game like this where it's only a short week, you you really got to nail it come the weekend. And part of nailing it is getting that communication right in and around the training session so that we feel comfortable going to work together and very confident once we go into game day on Saturday. How do you build a, an effective defence in such, such a short space of time, Ben? <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, you've got to keep it simple. Um, you know, you, you've got to trust the fact that these guys at their clubs are, have just come out of a really big pre-season, uh, some longer than others. Uh, but the pre-season that they've done at their clubs has built the basic fundamentals of the game around both their attack and their defence. So when you're in a camp like this, you've got to work really hard at thinking and doing together. Um, that's what I call it. So building the knowledge of what we want to do as a group and then going out and putting it in play on the, on the field on the weekend and on the training paddock. So the best way to do that is to keep it really simple and just hone in on a couple of small areas, which is what we've done, uh, so that when they go out on the field, they're not overthinking what they're doing, but they're able to use those skills that they've learned at their club as fundamentals and then combine them into our small system that we have leading into this weekend and you know around training you have a few questions oh that's a bit different to what I do here and that's a bit different to what I do here and at the end of the day it's all about having a synergy of the players coming together to make sure that they're all on the same page when we get out there on Saturday night. 
normally in any NRL season or any period of time where you get a chance to analyse the opposition, um, there's quite a lot of that work goes on behind the scenes. Uh, what do you see when you look at uh, the Indigenous side? Uh, I see brilliance. Uh, I see a group of guys that um, come together and you know bring a real attacking style of footy. Um, you know, really exciting to watch uh, when they're in the NRL, and they're really exciting to watch in the last few years in the All Stars game. Uh, they've got great skill in Cody Walker and Nico Hines in the halves, and then Luttrell at the back. So a really strong spine. Um, they've also got great footwork and great ability to move the ball. So, uh, you know, we've worked really hard at talking about that and moving well defensively. Um, and, you know, it's really exciting for our boys to be able to play up against guys of this quality because it's a real test of us and a, a challenge for us and our character and our footy ability. So the boys are, are really excited against playing against guys of those quality. Uh, and, and we're hoping that come Saturday night we can go and get the job done against them. What about the level of interest uh, you've detected uh, around the, the area, the Bay of Plenty area as such? Uh, are you confident there'll be uh, a, a really good following of this match and these two matches? Yeah, it, it's actually funny you say that. We went down to Harvey Norman, who's the major sponsor of this tournament, um, yesterday. And when we were at Harvey Norman, um, all four teams were there together, which was awesome. Uh, and there's been a bit of that this week, all, t all four teams doing things together, which is what it's all about. It's a, about an inclusive environment where everyone's part of what's going on. And that happened yesterday at Harvey Norman, and it was absolutely packed. Uh, we, we were there for about an hour and a half. The boys uh, signed autographs. They, they had photos taken. There was a photo booth down the end. You pretty much couldn't move in the building, and there was a line-up out the door. So if that's any indication of the interest from the public... Um, I think we'll have a good and healthy crowd on the weekend. And, you know, I know a number of people are coming in from out of town and, you know, guys in our team have, you know, hooked up a heap of tickets for their family. I think, you know, Corey Harrower and Naira, the running joke, is he's up to 120 tickets for his family to come along. So, you know, with Corey's family alone, plus all of those people that were at Harvey Norman the <laughs> other day, I think we're in for a fairly big crowd. <laughs> in terms of your own, your own playing uh, personnel, uh, Ben, who, who are you? Who are your leaders? Who, who are the who are the guys we should look out for taking uh, a leading role on the park? I, I think that it goes without saying that James Fisher Harris and uh, Joey Tarpanay uh, will lead us. Uh, they'll be our captains, but they'll also be our on-field leaders of action as well. Um, you know, we've seen those guys play for their clubs and in the NRL last year they were exceptional and then they came off a really exceptional tour with the Kiwis. So they're the guys that are going to lead us from the front. Um, they've done a lot of the talking this week. Um, they've worked really hard in the background to get connection together with the team. Uh, we also have Corey Hawira Naira. Uh, I've coached Corey a number of uh, times over the years and he's really grown into a great leader. Um, speaks really well. He's really confident in front of the group, so he'll lead the way too. And uh, young Hayes Perham, who's come in, you know, from the Bulldogs, he's had a great preseason with them, and you know, he was recommended to us to come into the team. And yeah, he's been, you know, really, really great around his confidence and his talk with the group. And um, you know, those four guys, um, Hayes probably, you know, not as experienced as as the others, but they're really leading the way with the talk in the camp. And you know, they're saying really positive, knowledgeable things, which you know pushes us in the right direction. Uh, one of the things uh, that uh, of, is of interest tonight is uh, the, the jersey presentation. Tell us a wee bit about that. 
Yeah, so uh, in, in town, there's a jersey presentation. Um, the NRL uh, have put that together you know, a number of weeks ago. So uh, all four teams will go into town. Um, there'll be a jersey presentation in there um, where you know, pretty much everyone will get up on the stage and receive their jersey. Uh, I, I'm sure that there'll be cultural elements to that as well, which will be awesome for the, the players and the fans again. Uh, but, you know, it's one of those occasions and, and the All-Stars Week is that type of occasion where it's about bringing everyone together. So being able to do the jersey presentation uh, with the Indigenous boys and girls team and, you know, the, the Māori boys and girls team, uh, I think it's brilliant. And I think it's, you know, really great from the NRL to put that together, not only to showcase the players in front of the fans, but, you know, to indicate the level of inclusion that we have um, amongst the two countries and the two Indigenous parts of the country in particular. And you don't want to get to your seats late, do you? Because um, one of the highlights will be the the pre-match war cry by the Indigenous side, plus, of course, uh, your own team and the Haka. That will be special. That'll get uh, the spines going, won't it? Oh, yeah. And hasn't that been a spectacle the last couple of years, you know? And I think it's just getting better and better and better every year. And, you know, each group is adding their elements. So, you know, don't get there five minutes late for kickoff, that's for sure. You, you want to be there 20 minutes before kickoff so you can see the full spectacle and, you know, the, the Haka and the Indigenous war cry last year were two of the best I've ever seen. Um, and, you know, I think that it's leading to, to that direction this time. Obviously, for the Māori team being back in Rotorua and, uh, you know, for the Indigenous boys coming overseas, like, they all want to rep represent really well for different reasons. Uh, so I think that this year, yeah, it's going to be a real spectacle. So, yeah, don't get there late or you're going to miss out. When this uh, week is over for Ben Gardner, of course, the hard work uh, begins. What's, uh, what's the, the NRL looking like for, for you uh, this year and uh, what are your expectations there? Yeah, it's, uh, it's another big year. Um, I'm heading back over um, to home off the, after the game and um, I'm, you know, I've clubs, I've moved to the Penrith Panthers this year. So I'm really excited about representing them and you know, bringing some knowledge but also learning a lot from the players and the staff there. Um, you know, it's a really exciting year for me. We've come out of the, the All-Stars game and head into the World Club Challenge the following week. So two really big weeks of footy for me um, and, and my family. Uh, it's really exciting and, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely privileged and um, blessed to be part of the Panthers and, you know, I take it as a real responsibility to do a great job for them. Well, Ben, it's been a terrific uh, chatting to you. Really impressed the way that you've taken um, in all aspects of this role and uh, the way you're embracing it. It sounds sounds very impressive, and it sounds like uh, Rotorua will be the place to be on uh, Saturday afternoon. All the best for the game and uh, also with the Panthers. Uh, great, great catching up with you. Yeah, thanks again. Appreciate the time, and you know, let's hope we can get plenty of people out to the field to support both teams uh, on Saturday night. Absolutely. Fantastic. 3.30, uh, uh, folks, for the, the women's game, uh, and then the men kick off at 5.45. So that was uh, head coach uh, for the, the Murray All-Stars, Ben Gardner. Impressive man. Very impressive man. 10.19. Bring your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Ben String and Hamish Bidwell are our guests this morning on the panel. Um, and I'll start uh, with you, uh, Hamish Bidwell, on this uh, beautiful Hawke's Bay day. Um, Razor Robertson and uh, the Rugby Union are at it again. Did you uh, take note of what happened yesterday? What did you make of it if you did? 
Uh, you'll have to fill me in, Ian. Right, OK. So uh, basically, uh, Razor Robertson said there will be an announcement. He's pretty clear what's going on. There will be an announcement um, in the uh, next few days from New Zealand Rugby on the uh, the future of the all-black coaching role, etc. And I've come out and said, no, there won't be, <laughs> basically. Well, there should be, because what we did last time was sit on our hands and hope that people would flock to us. Well, at least that was the narrative that was, was spun. I can't remember how many candidates then Chairman Brendan he rolled out. He thought he had, but 26, I think, was the number. But really, it was succession. And when you wait till the end, then all you've got left is the leftovers. And the leftovers was Ian, Ian Foster, and that's who we've had. Now, we've kicked New Zealand rugby from pillar to post for doing that. Now, can we criticise them now for being proactive and for actually wanting to get a coaching team lined up post-2024? Does it undermine Foster in the interim? I have no idea. But I think the guy's had a fair go. He's, he's part of a regime that traces its origins back to 2004. It's a pretty long run. Um, so, yeah, I would applaud New Zealand rugby for getting organised. Uh, I would applaud Scott Robertson for putting pressure on them publicly to, to get organised and, and to actually make a statement. What it does for the team or doesn't do for the team, it's not that interesting to me, but I want them to be proactive because they, they sat on their hands too long last time. OK, good point of view. Um, what do you make of it, Ben? Uh, I like that Scott Robertson is happy to, to come out and actually talk to people and, and give an, you know, an update on what might be coming in the, in the very near future. I think it's, it's great that we actually get this from him every now and then. We don't get it from anyone else at New Zealand Rugby, which is extremely frustrating. So the fact that he's even uh, sparked New Zealand Rugby to come out and and, and suggest that this isn't happening, um, it, it gives us some information from New Zealand Rugby. It's it's pretty frustrating being, at, at, at the very least, a member of the media, but as a New Zealand Rugby fan, to, to know something's going to happen, but just not know when. So um, it would be good if there was some clarity around dates and that sort of thing of, of when an announcement will be made. And I agree with Hamish that New Zealand Rugby should be commended for, for actually getting this process underway and making a decision early because they do dilly-dally a bit. Staying with you, Ben, uh, Super Rugby, uh, with the, the confirmation of uh, Aaron Smith-Bowden, Brody Retallick all heading back uh, or over to Japan in respective cases. Uh, should uh, Super Rugby considering uh, consider opening the door to Japan? Possibly. I think from a financial perspective, maybe would be the biggest thing. I think, uh, you know, Japanese rugby, the, the clubs there would basically have to subsidize their place and, and they can probably afford it. Um, I, I think the, you know, the, the quality, the, the product would possibly take a massive hit. I, I think that the physicality and the skill level over there, although it's increasing and improving, is, is not going to help uh, with the product, which would be a shame and if there could be some absolute blowouts. Um, but but that said, I think the bigger issue is this thing with New Zealand players heading overseas and, and the likes of Richie Moanga saying that New Zealand rugby is going to have to open it up and, and pick players who are playing overseas. Uh, I can kind of understand that if, if players are playing in Europe uh, where the, the product is just as good right now as Super Rugby, if not better, and you'll be, um, you know, you'd have some fantastic players coming back to play for New Zealand. I just don't see the same thing if they're going to Japan, where they, yes, they're earning mega bucks, but the quality of rugby is not necessarily going to be getting them ready for all black rugby. And so that's a concern. And, and I think that's something that New Zealand rugby have to have a good, long, hard think about.
Okay. Um, what's your, your take on... Oh, we've seen that, actually, uh, haven't, haven't we, um, Hamish, when we've seen players like Brody Retallick come back from uh, Japanese rugby, and it's taken them, like, forever to get back up to speed. Yeah, like, you either have professional rugby or you have the nanny state. We're in a halfway house situation where we allow sabbaticals, which is nonsense. We uh, sign guys like Freddie Burns to the Highlanders or Pablo Matera to the Crusaders. So I would have an all-singing, all-dancing professional competition. I would import players from wherever they want to come from. I would let All Blacks be picked from wherever. And I use football as the analogy because I think football is a proper professional game and rugby still isn't. You know, the Argentine and French leagues aren't the best in the world, but those teams still perform outstandingly on the world stage, do they not? So you either have a nanny state, right? And you say it's just a purely for making All Blacks or an All Blacks glorified All Blacks trial. And so our best players have to be here. Well, then in that case, you don't have sabbaticals. There are no Burns and Materas. But we're doing sort of neither one thing nor the other. I would go professional, as, and I think Mwanga is right. I think the time's come to pick guys from overseas to trust them to be professionals, to get themselves in the nick, to be proper All Blacks. If they, and it, I just, the competition needs something, and guys disappearing because they've had enough of, you know, the, the, the control that New Zealand rugby exerts over them. Well, then let's open it up. But I don't think we're doing anyone a service at the moment, be they players, certainly not fans. And I think the product could be way better if we actually made it a legitimate professional competition. Okay, uh, fair enough. Uh, Dane Coles is uh, calling it a day at the end of uh, this calendar year. Um, Hamish, what's his legacy, do you think, to uh, rugby in New Zealand? That he was a real bloke. Um, there's an increasing sort of NBA slash NFL swagger among all blacks. There's a desire to lead social change. And Dane Coles is one of those guys in the room who just said, hey, fellas, take your hand off it. Let's get on with the footy. And he'll be a big loss in that regard because he didn't put up with that sort of carry-on. He didn't drive a flash car. He didn't have any ears and graces. In fact, he made a point of driving an old bomb because he didn't want to stand out from the crowd. He didn't regard himself as special. He didn't want to be treated better, different, whatever. He was just a real Kiwi joker. And I think we're moving away from real Kiwi jokers and his departure from the team will be a big loss in that regard. Okay, very interesting. 10.31 here on SCNZ. Uh, we shall take a, a short break in the panel, get some news from Araha, uh, and when we come back, uh, we'll look at uh, a little bit of uh, cricket, a little bit of uh, NBA as well, I think. Uh, it's 10.31. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Uh, 10.33 here on SENZ. We've got uh, Ben Strang and uh, Hamish Bidwell with us. Uh, yesterday, big day in the NBA, Ben, for LeBron James in particular. Yeah, amazing to to break what many thought was an unbreakable record. Uh, most points ever in the NBA, beating Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, yeah, a- astonishing. Um, a lot of us uh, in my office, NBA fans, we were... We're in a little fantasy uh, basketball league. We're all debating whether he'd do it yesterday or in a couple of days against the Bucks, and uh, I just had a feeling it would definitely happen yesterday. And you could see the intent from the from the off that that he was going to break this record. He was going to get the 36 points he needed. Um, he he's just a, a phenomenal player, a phenomenal professional. Um, as a sport, you couldn't ask for a better person to be the top player in your sport um, since he's come into the league you know there's there's been no real scandals uh, he he is still with his high school sweetheart 
Um, he's a he's a good family man, and at the same time, he's um, just absolutely lighting it up on the court. It's pretty pretty astonishing. And it, but it was uh, quite strange though for them to just completely halt the game in the middle of the third quarter when he got the record and have a little ceremony and stuff. Just remarkable what they do in American sport. Do you follow the basketball much, Hamish? And and if so, uh, LeBron James. I do, but I'm old, Ian, right? So I sort of think if you play for a long time, then you get a lot of points. I sort of, I don't know how many guys have gone past 10,000 test runs. I think it's about a dozen, but I know Bradman in 52 tests scored 6996. I know that, I remember Richard Hadley going past Rock, Rock Collins for 117 test wickets for New Zealand. I remember growing up in Wellington, the hoopla of Alan Houston maybe going past D.B. Clark's record of 207 test points for the All Blacks. And they were big deals, or at least they were because I was maybe of an age to care about them. But I just think statistics have been made largely irrelevant by how much sport we play now. I think Dan Carter's got 1,500 at All Blacks test points. Is he a better player than Don Clark? Probably. But like Don Clark was a colossus of his era. And I just, I think that records don't really mean as much as they did. You're a better place to to, to talk about that because you were a a test cricketer and, and the numbers that you achieved and your teammates achieved really meant something at the time. But they're dwarfed now. You know, Bruce Edgar's not an all-time great. John Wright, how do we regard John Wright now? What, 5,000 test runs, a great player, I would have thought. But in the fullness of time, his statistics won't really tell us much, will they? You know, I just think that, that numbers have become a little bit meaningless. And I think, good on LeBron, but it's sort of in the same boat for me, but meaningless. Okay, fair enough. Uh, on the subject of uh, the cricket and, uh, of course, uh, two test matches of or two series of uh, real interest coming up, particularly one starting today um, in India with Australia taking on India. Um, and Hamish, I think that this promises to be a, a rip snorter. Yeah, I'll be glued to it. And um, I don't really get the whinging about the state of the pitch that they're going to play on. Like, that's, that's part and parcel. We play on dirty green seamers here and... Uh, if you go to the subcontinent, you get what's coming to you. You know, I was really admired New Zealand for the way they tried to play cricket on the dead pitches of, of Pakistan. They don't do it the English way. They did it the New Zealand way, but they still managed to nearly achieve victory. You know, I, I, I just think you've got to take what's coming to you. I think it's going to be fascinating. You know, I think about a guy like Travis Head who comes out in the home summer against mediocre opposition and creams them all over the park. Well, how's he going to go on a Bunsen in India? So I just, I want to see that. I want to see how... Can Steve Smith hold his form? Kawaja scored runs in Pakistan last year, but can he do it in India where it's going to turn a bit more and a bit quicker off the deck when it turns? So just can't wait to watch it. Yeah, I can't wait to watch it. Uh, ben, uh, has it got interest for you, this, this series, the sport of Gavaska? Oh, it, it always does. And, uh, you know, they are two teams at the top of their game, it appears. So, um, yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree that there's just it's such an exciting challenge when a team that is so good in their home conditions gets to go overseas and try themselves in much you know much different conditions and you know it, it appears that India have been baking the, the pitch. There's uh, concerns about some some doctoring and that sort of thing. Some interesting colours on the wicket, uh, which looks like it will certainly turn. Um, I, I think that's kind of part of playing against. India and India is you have to expect that it's going to be a heck of a challenge with just the, the state of the pitches and that sort of thing. But I am also looking forward to seeing what England do here in New Zealand and whether uh, baseball continues because they're, they're um, it's frightening to think about how good they might be uh, and, and the way that New Zealand have been going of late. 
Well, uh, continued yesterday, Ben. Um, what they scored 460 something at around about uh, six and a half to 6.7 runs per over. So, uh, if anything, uh, if yesterday's anything to go by, look out. Yeah, I was just looking through the highlights actually, and uh, I can see Joe Root reverse sweeping. Uh, well, not reverse sweeping. I don't know what you call the shot. Just a reverse hook of a fastball of a six, uh, like we saw in in their home summer. Uh, just some of the batting is is outrageous and phenomenal. Seventeen sixes and seventy overs yesterday. But they are here to play their style of cricket. Uh, I I I do worry. Um, especially with the pink ball test, uh, having played with a pink ball, it's you can see it just like a white ball. It's much easier to see than, than the red ball. And so, yeah, they could pile on runs at, uh, at Tauranga, which, which the pitch often doesn't do a heck of a lot. Um, the base and reserve uh, often looks green and then, then plays beautifully as well for the batsmen. So, yeah, uh, they could be putting up some phenomenal scores. What, what do you read in terms of uh, the conditions uh, here, Hamish? Uh, if the preferable conditions. In the past, you mentioned the word dirty, or the phrase dirty green seamers before, and you're dead right on that. Uh, but against England, what would be the preference, you would think? Uh, I don't know. I really don't know how New Zealand are going to approach it, A, from a conditions point of view, and B, from just how they're going to play the game. And that's one of the fascinations. I don't think England care what you put them on. You can put them on a flat one, like they were on in Pakistan. They'll find a way. You can put them on a green one. And they played on green ones at home last summer. And they were still pumping out 500 runs a day, or bloody close. You know, I thought, having beaten the Black Caps, that they might come out and stuck against India. But they, they won that game from virtually nowhere because they just backed themselves. And they prepared to play the ball on its merits regardless of the surface. So I don't think any jiggery-pokery in terms of the turf is going to make any difference to the way they play. And I, I applaud them for that. I admire them for that. And... It's a fascinating contrast of styles because I don't believe New Zealand will, will go bullet a gate the way the English are. Okay, very interesting thoughts there uh, this morning on those subjects uh, from Hamish Bidwell uh, and uh, Ben Strang. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. Have a terrific day and uh, we shall be uh, back with uh, another panel uh, tomorrow morning around about 20 past 10. Uh, incidentally, uh, Manchester United leads an update on that. Uh, just after halftime, Leeds went up 2-0. Manchester United have uh, since pulled those two goals back. So with uh, around about 15 minutes of uh, normal time to go, it is Manchester United 2, Leeds 2, and Manchester United on attack there. We'll take a short break. We'll be back here on SENZ. It's in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's Harness Racing New Zealand, Pacing for Purpose, Season 2. Well, this week's Harness Racing pick to raise funds for Women's Refuge is uh, racing at Addington. Uh, tomorrow night being uh, Friday, 6.13pm. It's race three, actually. Uh, number two, Darby O'Gill. Darby O'Gill, first of uh, seven at the trials, last 857.7, if that means anything to you. And it looks set to be a huge factor on debut. So that is uh, race three, number two, Darby O'Gill, tomorrow night at 6.13. And uh, last week uh, we picked up a divvy and now we've moved uh, clearly into second place on the table with $717.50.
Uh, the run home, those uh, tow rags that work late in the afternoon, uh, $1,237.50. $1,237.50. So uh, that's what we're chasing uh, for Women's Refuge. Uh, did he, uh, talking about uh, Hamish Bidwell here, did he seriously just compare Don Clark to Dan Carter? Good Lord Almighty, hang up on him immediately. Now, one thing you will get with Hamish Bidwell, uh, you will get... Uh, the absolute gospel, according to Hamish Bidwell, and it will provoke it will provoke comment, and that's one of the reasons uh, we have panelists is to engender thought and comment. Did he compare uh, Don Clark to Dan Carter? Um, yes, uh, he did, and it's, he's within his rights to do that. Um, and uh, did Don uh, Dan Carter kick uh, wet leather balls? Did he? Um, I'm not sure that he did. I think he had those lovely synthetic things that sit up on a tee quite nicely. Didn't have to dig a hole in the ground himself, uh, like Don Carter had to do with the back, the back heel of his pronounced boot that he used to have. Um, so there's a, a lot of older people, I would, I would imagine, who saw Don Clark, and uh, those uh, people are starting to flitter away because they're getting that old. Um, they might want to have a, a decent old debate about that over um, a pint or whatever. Dan Carter's numbers quite clearly are way, way superior. And as an all-round player uh, all over the park, certainly uh, Dan Carter was way in advance of Don Clark. But having said that, uh, we're talking about goal kicking here and uh, we'll never be able to uh, see it because of uh, era differences. But Don Clark was the boot. At the end of the day, Don Clark will always be regarded as the boot. So there you go. Um, no, 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 he didn't say All Black Smitty, that's Bull, you said that, not Razor, he said Buller, well actually I was reading um, more the reaction from New Zealand Rugby, so uh, they, I think, um, from the fact that they came out so quickly, I think that, that they uh, realised, uh, or they particularly thought that uh, Razor was talking about um, the All Black coaching job, um, and uh, his position as far as that is concerned, so... Uh, that's why I said it that way but uh, my reaction uh, was to the article um, and I haven't actually heard him say the word buller, we'll try and get that up at some point um, so I can confirm it for myself. On the subject of uh, press conferences uh, we have got the Brendan McCullum presser and uh, that will be coming to uh, everyone uh, just after 11 o'clock this morning we'll, uh, Logan and uh, Brian and Co have been working overtime trying to put that together so we'll hear uh, from uh, Baz Brennan McCullum, whose uh, team yesterday absolutely smashed the New Zealand Bowling 11 all round the park uh, with the pink ball. So uh, <coughs> inter inter uh, interesting big weekend for Baz, actually. He's got a leading contender in uh, Group 1 race at, uh, at Tarapa. Uh, he's got uh, Defibrillate, uh, which is uh, in the running with uh, Wild Knight, uh, is also in the money, and uh, Sharp and Smart too, uh, Graham Rogerson's horses, I think the leading contender in that at the moment in terms of the market. So, yeah, big weekend for Baz. Uh, I just wonder if he'll be able to take some time away from his busy job with the England cricket team to get to Tarapa on Saturday afternoon. That will be interesting. Uh, it is uh, 10.50 here on SENZ. Aotearoa, this is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, interesting uh, looking at uh, the pitch that uh, they're likely to get for Australia and India later this afternoon. Um, pictures coming through of David Warner and uh, I think Manus Labashane is the other one with him. 
basically down on hands and knees uh, looking at the pitch. Of course, you're not allowed to walk on it, and uh, you're not really allowed to touch it, I don't think. So they're just getting down on their hands and knees and uh, looking at particular areas that may interest them. And uh, already it, uh, it looks very barren at both ends, particularly uh, for left-handers. And Australia have a plethora of left-handers uh, in their batting lineup, uh, which will be of interest. So you can th look at the likes of uh, Ravi Jadeja, um, or left arm spinners, um, Aksar Patel, left arm spinners bowling into rough that's uh, already apparently uh, showing signs of being there without a ball being bowled. So um, very, very, in very interested there uh, in, in that particular test pitch and how it plays on day one, and we'll soon get um, a gauge on that. Paul Mawadi from uh, the TAB joins us. Uh, Paul, and uh, I, I looked at the market for that, uh, and uh, India fairly warm favourites to take out this first test against Australia. Yes, and, and the punters are keen to jump on the Indians as well. Uh, I just heard you um, talking about the state of the pitch, and it looks like the uh, local groundsmen have uh, certainly done their best to uh, produce a pitch which will, uh, I think, assist the Indians. So uh, we're getting uh, quite a bit of action on the Indians to win that first test match, also to win the test series. And in the exact series um, result, uh, the best back there is still India to win the series 3-0. Um, so all the money at the moment suggesting that the Indians are going to have a big, big uh, series against the Australian course, the Aussies, looking for their first test series win in India um, for what I think they've lost the last three series that they faced the Indians over there. So um, it's a big, big uh, stumbling block for the Australians. If there's one shining light, Steve Smith has been backed uh, to be player of the series and to also be the top run scorer. Uh, for that Test match series. So he's been very well back, but outside of Steve Smith, most of the action going the Indians' ways. Interesting. Um, also yesterday uh, we were talking to Pip about uh, the interesting markets you had for LeBron James, and of course he managed to get 38 points. He was after 36. So and what was the end result of that? Yeah, a number of punters jumped on on those power plays, and I think a number of them collected... Uh, I guess the most popular one was LeBron James to score 36 or more points. I think that was around $2.40. That uh, that uh, cashed in for punters. And there was a $9 power play that also uh, cashed in. That was LeBron James to score 36 or more before the end of the third quarter, which he did. So plenty of cash out there for punters to spend. And I'm just having a look at Tarapa this Saturday, Group 1 day, of course, Herbie Dyke Stakes, um, the BCD Sprint. And we've already had a bit of action. First of all, in the sprint, they've come for the favourite, Mark Walker, Opie Bosson and Imperatriz, $3.20 into $2.70. Um, and in the Herbie Dyke, the best back there, has been, once again, Tiako, Wild Knight, the, uh, was it, the Karaka Million Classic runner-up. Uh, he's now 4.20 into $3.60. Wow, interesting markets there and some late movement too. Um, thanks very much, Paul. Have a terrific rest of the day. Great catching up. Very good, Smitty. Cheers. Uh, coming up to 11 o'clock here, we're going to feature cricket uh, after 11 o'clock. Uh, and specifically, we're going to hear from uh, one of our very own, Baz McCullum, who had a press conference in Hamilton not that long ago, and we will play you extracts from that as part of the next hour. We'll have a stump smithy as well, and other features. 
and are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Just uh, before we get to uh, Brendan McCullum, I can tell you Manchester United 2, Leeds 2. So a very valuable point for Leeds on the road at Old Trafford. Their fans uh, celebrating like they won the match. Perhaps should have when they had a 2-0 lead. But uh, they'll take that point because they are relegation threatened. All right, let's um, move on to uh, the England cricket team, of course, uh, are in town. Uh, and uh, particularly if you're in Hamilton, they are actually in your town right at the moment. And this morning at uh, around 10 o'clock, uh, Brendan McCullum fronted the media. And uh, this is the end result of that. I hope you enjoy the listen. ECNZ. Brendan, thank you for speaking with TalkSport. Is it slightly weird to be back home wearing the, the England top? Uh, yeah, I guess so. It was nice to be here. Um, looking forward to it, actually. I've had a good week or so with the boys now and been able to take them around some of the the good spots of New Zealand and show them some of uh, some of this country and it's been great to spend some time together in a relaxed environment but also now starting to turn our attention to cricket. Yeah, I've been speaking with quite a few of the boys over the past couple of days. I think they've been living their best lives over the past <laughs> over the past couple of days. Just how good was it and how important is it for you to sort of get the boys chilling out and just sort of a bit of time away from cricket before the actual cricket starts? Yeah, I think that it's imperative. I think it's really important. Test cricket's hard, and I think travelling well can be difficult as well. It's meant to be a fun time in your life, and you should be able to enjoy it, not just on the field, but off it as well. So, you know, the things that uh, the guys have done over the last week or so will hopefully be memories that they'll uh, they'll take with them for a long time, and they've done it together, which is, from a coaching point of view, um, one of the, the most important aspects of it. So, look, um, the guys have been fantastic. They've had a good time, but they've also worked incredibly hard. So we look forward to the challenge which is in front of us with the New Zealand side. It's not too far now off a year since your first test match as the head coach of England against New Zealand. In your wildest of imaginations, could you have dreamt it is, is, it's, been, it's gone as well as it has done over the past nine months? Yeah, it's been a good start, definitely. I think results um, have been great, uh, but you know, that's not so much the results. I know we get judged by them, but that's not really my focus. Um, and also the skipper as well. We, um, you know, we just want the guys to try and play a style of cricket which gives them the greatest opportunity to, to allow their talent to come out and, and have a good time while they're doing it. So, you know, this year has been quite amazing. Uh, we know there's some big challenges in front of us as well, but whatever happens, um, we've achieved some pretty cool stuff over the last little while. And if we can take forward some of the lessons that we've learned from the past, um, well, 10, 11 months, then I think it will give us a good opportunity of being able to do something pretty special in the next little while. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, did the wake-off entail golf? Good point. Yeah, some good golf, some bad golf, and everything in between. Um, yeah, just a, a lot of time together, really. Um, we were sort of in the Millbrook Resort, which was lovely, so we were able to be away from kind of everyone and just spend a lot of team time together. And you know, I think with split formats now, that's really important that you give yourself some time to be able to embed um, kind of those relationships and get that banter going again and get things... Um, you know, just get the guys relaxing their shoulders and getting back into touring life and, and the, the natural rhythm of what a, a team or how a team operates. So that was what the idea was. And, you know, I think we will put in some hard work over the last few days as well. And we've still got plenty of time leading into the, the, next, uh, the next challenge as well. So it's been good. It's been great. Not a bad country to do it in. Brendan, Did you intentionally um, want to send that statement yesterday with Joe playing that? audacious shot of the third man and Harry coming out and playing his sort of game? No, there's nothing intentional about it. The boys just play how they want to play. It's, um, you know, from our point of view, it's just uh, just give them the amount, most amount of freedom and, 
and flexibility to do what they want to do. For all we're trying to encourage from a batting point of view is identify when the time is to absorb pressure and identify and be brave enough when the time is to be able to put pressure back on the opposition. And um, you know, if you're able to do that and you get out doing it, so be it. Um, but from a coaching point of view, it's pretty exciting to watch the talent that these guys have got. Some of those shots and some of the skills that they possess is is pretty insane. And um, you know, we sit back in, in awe at times about how good these guys can be. And and, uh, and hopefully we're able to see them continue to develop over the next little while. You know Tim relatively well. Obviously, it's tough having to captain away for your first series of charge. Yeah, I'd say I know Tim better than pretty well. I think I know him very well. Um, I think you know the appointment was a really good one from New Zealand cricket. I think he's a, a cricketer in the back end of his career who has played an immense role within New Zealand cricket for over the last little while and been a real um, key part of the train, uh, the change from where it was to where it is now and you know, for him to take on the leadership role with Kane still within the ranks is, is a significant um, uh, positive I think for the New Zealand side and you know, I thought they played some good cricket in Pakistan as well in those challenging conditions and they could easily have um, nabbed that series too so we know they're going to be very good in these conditions and Tim will be creative as he, as he uh, always is and Look forward to seeing how we are able to just, uh, respond to that. What does Salvi ball like? I have no idea. <laughs> Tim's a, a cricketer who plays with a full heart and he'll he'll rally those guys around him and he's not afraid to have a crack as well. So it could be quite good. Both skippers playing a very similar mould. Brendan, how do you continue and build on what this team achieved over the last 12 months or so? I don't think we have to do too much different, to be honest, Kyle. I think guys have, they're enjoying their cricket, um, you see the you walk around the dressing room at trainings or wherever they go, they've got smiles on their faces and they're laughing and joking and, and when they put their head down and start working they put in the yards and, and that's all you can ask for and then it's a matter of being able to, in pressure situations, be brave enough to allow that talent and that hard work and, and the enjoyment factor to come out and if you do that you don't know where the ceiling is um, there'll be some tough times no doubt and that'll be Intriguing how we handle those two, and I'm sure we'll handle, with, handle them with the same sort of calm that we've been able to handle the success we've had as well. So I think with the skipper in charge, um, I, I'm not sure what's possible because he's he's a guy who writes his own scripts and, and he achieves some pretty special things. And I know the plans that he has for this team are, are, are quite lofty as well. And he'll he'll try and do what he can to drag the boys along for the ride. When you look back on the time. We see a noticeable change, obviously, in how this team's playing, but do you see a noticeable change in how they go about everyday life, leading into games, that sort of thing? Yeah, look, I think it's a little bit... It's a tough one because I obviously wasn't around during the previous time and, I mean, it was a global pandemic. There was lots of challenges and lots of restrictions on guys and when you're playing test cricket and things aren't going according to plan and then you throw the restrictions that everyone around the world experienced throughout that time, it's incredibly demanding. So... You know, I think the, the previous regime did really well to try and hold the fort together as long as they did during those difficult times. And I guess timing is everything in life. And taking over when we did, the guys were ready for that, that kind of sense of freedom and everything around the world opened up. And, and now people appreciate the opportunity that we've got to play, play cricket and, and represent the people that you represent and, and play a game that you absolutely love. So I guess you're very fortunate um, that, that it came along when it did. You're here for cricket, but are you going to Tarapa this weekend? <laughs> yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, I'll definitely be there. I've got a what, second favourite in the group one, so I'll be, I'll be certainly there and might be the favourite after the boys get on them as well. <laughs> Brendan, um, how important is it to have fun while playing chess cricket? I think it's everything, to be honest. I think in any job that you do, right, you want to have fun, otherwise what's the point in doing it? I think, you know, we get one crack at life and you've got some skills in something and you've got some aspirations and dreams in it, why would you not want to try and live those out and, and have a smile on your face while you're doing it? I think, you know, test cricket in particular is such a difficult game and and these guys have got so many options around the world now as well that it's not just about having fun on the field, it's about being able to create some memories and, and relationships and friendships which last well beyond um, your cricketing careers and that's that's how I like to view this this time that we've got as a team and, and uh, I mean it's not always going to be rosy but the one thing you can do is keep bringing that same sort of positive attitude and, and belief and, and keep trying to look after one another and enjoy yourself. And I've read that you're not fond of the term basketball but how have you seen the players sort of adopt this more positive style and embrace it over the last sort of nine months? Uh, the guys have been amazing to be honest. Uh, I knew coming into this job and I've said to guys many times I knew that, that England had good players and realised that they were this good. Um, I knew the skipper would be good but I didn't realise he'd be this good um, and the, the way the guys have responded to his leadership and, and all the uh, the environment changes that we've, that we've tried to make and, and maybe just trying to strip a little bit of the formality out of things and, and just try and get guys back to pushing one another within the environment I think they've responded really really well um, success obviously helps but you know, one of the proudest moments we've had so far is when we bounced back from that Test match loss against uh, against South Africa at Lords. And honestly, if you're in the dressing room, the way the skipper spoke after, the way the senior players were, and the way the guys stuck together, you would not have known that we lost that Test match. And I think that allowed us to be able to then bounce back um, without any baggage. And and we'll need that at times again in the future. But you know, that's that's what you want when you play sport because you can't guarantee success but if you keep bringing that same consistent attitude and belief within the group you're going to give yourself the best chance were you, su- three more, yeah. were you surprised to see Kane step down as captain of the test team last year in December uh, not really I think Kane's done an amazing job and he did it for a long period of time as well and I think you know when he took over the job he was able to in time leave it in a, in a better place than he found it which is all you want to do when you're thrust into positions of leadership so I think he did an amazing job um, you know the New Zealand crew is very lucky that he's still playing I think and is able to offer that next layer of leadership um, to the, the remaining players within that side but captaincy is hard it's consuming, it's not just on the field which is consuming, it's, it's off the field because you have to immerse yourself in everyone else's lives and, and all those people in your team you've got to try and sort of encourage them as well so it's a, a really consuming job I thought Kane did an amazing job and he'll go down as possibly our, our greatest ever leader Do you look back on your time captaining the um, Black Caps test side and wonder whether the style you are using with England might have been deployed then or might have tried to be deployed then? Um, yeah I don't know I guess it's different when you're playing to coaching I think you look at things with a completely different lens when you're playing you're sort of probably a little more follow me type of mentality I think you know make decisions sometimes which may not be the best for your own career but you feel they're the best for what the team needs and you're prepared to sacrifice some of those stats or, or your own performances to, to send clear messages to, to your troops I think from a coaching point of view it's very different because you're actually you're not out there together so your messages need to be really consistent and your emotions need to be really consistent regardless of how performance unfolds and 
Um, you've got to keep things pretty simple and, and it's a lot easier to to be able to do that when you're not having to walk across the line and, and try and face up. But yeah, I love the, the aspect of how in coaching you can free guys up and you can you can sort of give them something that that they maybe didn't expect. And um, yeah, I guess I'm waffling on a bit now, but you get my point. Last one, please. <laughs> what sort of reception are you expecting from New Zealand fans at the Mount in Wellington? Well, it should be right, I would think. I think. <laughs> They're going to be entertained regardless whether they whether New Zealand win or, or whether we win. It's going to be should be entertaining if the weather plays its part. And um, yeah, look, I think obviously people are patriotic and they want their own team to win. But I guess yeah, this is one of the reasons that we're in the job that we're in is we want to make Test cricket entertaining. We want to ensure that people walk away with a great experience from the game. And you know, even sometimes if your own team doesn't win. You can still walk away knowing you've had a hell of a day out. So hopefully that'll be the case throughout the series. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, interesting. Uh, very philosophical, Brendan McCullum. I think it's fair to say, and uh, quite uh, obvious. The theme was the same. Have fun, right from um, the first question, really, uh, to the end. And uh, he wants the fans to have fun, but he, he uh, wants his players to have fun. You know, one crack at life. Uh, there was a lot of uh, quite deep and meaningful stuff uh, from Brendan's point of view. <coughs> but I think uh, just uh, in that uh, short 12-minute uh, interview, you get the message, don't you? You get, you can almost put yourself in the English dressing room and uh, hear those words from the coach and from the captain. Get out, express yourself, have fun. If it doesn't work today, it might work tomorrow. And uh, we'll, we'll turn up with a positive attitude. And if uh, enough of us come off on the right day with that attitude... We're going to win most games, and that is exactly uh, what has uh, unfolded from England's cricket's point of view. To win nine test matches out of ten, quite astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. Uh, but to do it in the manner that they have um, is, has been even more so, and that the positive attitude has not rebounded on them really uh, very often, because uh, they may have uh, been rolled on two or three occasions, but when they've come out the second time, uh, they've just carried on in the same vein and they've made up for it. And they advance the game at such a rate of knots that uh, you're going to get results every time England play, one way or the other, which makes it attractive, which uh, means, um, you know, you want to go. And uh, we heard yesterday from uh, New Zealand Cricket that the first three days of the Basin Reserve Test match are a sellout. Um, and big, big numbers too for uh, the Bay Oval as well for the day-night Test match. And they'll increase with walk-up crowds, etc., uh, but they're the places you want to be. It, it will be the feature of our uh, home summer, there's no doubt about it. And interesting to hear from our former SCNZ colleague who is now at the helm of uh, England. So uh, text us on double eight double three. what you made of that. Uh, we'll read them out uh, in the time that we have before midday. It is uh, yeah, coming up to 11.19. Agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, Brad has come in and said, I can't help but think that the Poms are going to give us an absolute hiding. Great words from Baz from a guy who NZC have to be lining up to replace Gary Stead. I uh, don't think they've got enough money in the bank. Um, it would be nice to think at at some stage in the future because he's uh, only very relatively new in his uh, coaching career and uh, it'd be interesting with Brendan actually if he wants to try something else whether 
he finds that coaching is his thing or this gig that he's got now is the ultimate for him so that'll be interested interesting as well old baz he keeps it simple from a coach's perspective i guess it works well he's sure is a relaxed dude and surely helps his players attitude the results speak for themselves they certainly do jared they certainly do so uh, logan what have you got uh, lined up for us now we've got a, a bit of something from modi moore uh, that was disappointing too those results uh, on the awards the other night yeah, I think that's fair to say. A little bit disappointed that uh, Murray Mayor didn't come away with the Coach of Coach of the Year award. Went to uh, Adam Ford, but I mean, he's doing great things with, um, you know, Ken's Taipans as well. They've turned things around, but he hasn't turned things around the way Murray Mayor has, has he? Uh, so what I want to play for you here, Smithy, um, before I came here to SNZ, before I came back to New Zealand, I was working over in Australia, and one of the things I worked on was the basketball show with uh, Shane the Hammer Hill, which we get on uh, every now and then on the show. He actually had Modi on his show uh, this week, and uh, this is what they had to say. Yeah, congratulations, mate. You've uh, done an incredible job. But these results come from partly by the recruiting strategy you've had and the people that you've brought in. You've put together a really well-balanced team and guys that want to play defence, play with passion, but can also put the ball in the hole. Can you take us through that process? I mean, for me, it started, or the goal at the beginning of the year was to build a team that plays in a way that resonates with the Kiwi culture and is a defensive-oriented unit, which is kind of how I see basketball first. You don't get to be a good defensive team without bringing in players who care about defense. It's not coaches' magic. You're going to bring in guys who want to only want to score, then you're not going to be great on defense. Um, so I'm very proud of the way these guys have responded. They have come together and bought into our schemes and the intensity that we want to play in, and our level of execution on the defensive end isn't bad at all. So, yeah, proud about it, happy about it, and still a lot of work to do. You've got so many valuable pieces that have helped contribute to this success, but one player I want to talk about is McDowell White. Uh, he's playing with such poise this year and a maturity that we haven't seen in past years, and it's added uh, a consistency to him, and um, he's been fantastic to watch. Will's a fantastic basketball player. Um, like every young player, he's only 24. He's just turning 25 now. There's growth in many areas that need to come. It was his three-point shot at the beginning. Then it was his ability to finish kind of in the in-between with his floater. And the last part is him growing into his own shoes, feeling comfortable in a big role, taking on responsibility. Um, I've enjoyed kind of walking this path with him over the last three years. And, you know, we love everything he brings to the table. And he's a big part of what we do. Yeah, it's unfortunate that Will McDowell-White missed out on uh, getting honours at the NBL as NBL Awards as well, Smithy, missing out by two points uh, on the voting, but massive night to get the uh, NBL playoffs up and running to find out who the Breakers will actually play on Sunday, 6pm, Spark Arena. Those tickets, I think, are, I keep looking on Ticketmaster and they're almost all gone. They've had to open up the, uh, they pulled the curtains back and opened up more seats to make uh, more, more available for fans. Those are going too. So tonight we've got uh, Southeast Melbourne Phoenix taking on the Perth Wildcats who just squeaked in. The loser of that is out. And we also have the seating match between the Cairns, Taipans and the Tasmania Jack Jumpers, the Jackies, as <laughs> McRandall said the other day on the show. I loved that. Uh, the winner of that will play the Breakers. The loser of that match will play the winner of that planned tournament. So plenty to look out for in the NBL. That all gets underway tonight uh, from 8.30 p.m. 
New Zealand time. But Smoothie, along with the NBL, I mean, we just had uh, Ben Gardner on the show earlier. We've got NBL in NRL trials tonight, sorry. Warriors v Tigers. I'm really looking forward to that. I know Fox have uh, all the games. And you know what that means? It means the return of Vossi. I got up early this morning because, uh, I, look, I know we're, we're talking about strike action and you've mentioned Tigers, Warriors, but I just don't know whether the fans really have their heads around the fact that every game is covered now. Every, like, yeah. Starting tonight, you know, divorce papers get filed. Um, you know, rugby league's back <laughs> early and every trial match, every pre-season game can be watched on Fox League. And as a caller, I, I, I find boys, and I, I'm not... I'm being too self-indulgent. I find you work harder now than you do at any time during the season because I'm doing notes at the moment for uh, Knights Sharks tomorrow night that I'm calling mm. up at Gosford. And there's um, so far there's 52 players um, huh. for that for that trial. So yeah, yeah, and a lot of these you've, you've, you haven't seen before. Some of these players you may have seen this time last year, never got a taste of first grade. So you, mm. you, you sort of got to prepare. So I'm doing three games this weekend. By the end of the weekend, I'll have called over you know 160 players um so yeah it's a, it's a busy time of year but it gets the fans back into it it's great exposure you get to to put names to or put faces to names and ability to names that you've heard about and get excited about and i'm pretty excited about this footy season let me tell you i'm pretty excited to vossi smithy hearing vossi's voice again to me that means nrl is back as long as the players don't strike and everything goes According to plan, uh, that Warriors-Tigers trial match is a members-only one, but of course SNZ have that partnership now with the One New Zealand Warriors, so you can get along to that preseason fixture tonight by becoming a member today. Just use the code SCNZ23 at the checkout to receive 10% off your membership when you go to warriors.kiwi. It's interesting how they call them trials in rugby league. Um, and yet um, tomorrow night we've got the Crusaders playing the Highlanders in a pre-season match or pre-season games, uh, pre-season two halves, if you like. Mm. Um, and and what, what would they... Uh, surely they would have a pretty good idea. I mean, they are just, at, at the end of the day, pre-season hit-outs, aren't they? They are, and yeah, you should make a pretty good point there, Smithy, because when you look at, you know, that Highlanders-Crusaders match, and they've both named, you know, separate squads for each half, to me that does scream that it's a trial, whereas these NRL trials, uh, I mean, yes, they are, they are pre-season by an, another name, and they're going with less experienced guys in this one, and then they'll go with more experienced guys later on in the in the trial schedule, which is, I mean, akin, very similar to NFL. You could sort of have your second and third string guys uh, playing those games, and you might get the the big name guys towards the end just to get them match fit and ready for the start of the regular season. But I'm really looking forward to it, mate. Okay, that's cool. Uh, right, it's uh, 11.30 here on SENZ. Uh, we're back to 50 bucks for uh, Stump Smithy. The number is 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. Uh, dial up now, and in the meantime, we'll uh, head across to the news desk, and here is Aroha. A good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yeah, we're playing for a $50 TAB bonus bet here for Stumped on SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Producer Logan back in the hot seat, the Quizmaster seat, Smithy, after a couple of days away. Uh, Brian, obviously, how things well. Kizzy did all right. <laughs> All right. But uh, the main man is back in the seat, so 
I like the oh, you got oh. it. You got it up to what was it? One fifty, two hundred. You're doing. You're on a heater, mate. Yeah, it's going okay there. And then uh, the basketball got me yesterday. I wasn't able to. I wasn't able to come up with the uh, the Melbourne side at the right time. So uh, that was the end of that. Otherwise, we'd be playing for two hundred smackaroos. So, uh, what are we? And uh, like yeah, fifty bucks. And who have we got lined up today? First of the crease, uh, we're going to Auckland, and it's Jason. Come in, mate. Hey, how's it going? Uh, Jace, uh, dry it out now? Uh, yeah, we got a little bit lucky actually. We weren't too bad, so nice and dry. <laughs> Good on you, mate. Okay, what are the uh, subjects available for Jason today? Uh, well, we're not going to throw the curveball at you of yesterday in case uh, Formula One gets picked and going to Idaho. So the topics are the FA Cup, Formula One, and cricket. Take your pick. Yeah, let's go cricket. Nice, mate. Good luck. Did like that idea of bringing in a substitute wicket keeper. Might have to do that someday. That was a great idea. All right, first question for you, Jason. Who is the captain of the Wellington Blaze Super Smash side? Um, oh, jeez, I don't even think I know that. Let's go. Is it Sophie Javai? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy. This is, uh, I would assume this is when they're at full strength. Um, I might have a crack at Mealy Kerr. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Another person who's doing amazing things with Wellington Blaze, but uh, as Lance Dry has been scratching his head over why she is not in the White Ferns, it's Lee Kasperick. Okay, Lee Kasperick. Good. Yeah, good. All right, second wow. question for you, Jason. A White Fern star has the highest single inning score over the women's and men's competitions with 101 not out. Can you name that Fern star? Uh, is this in the Super Smash? Yes. Uh, uh, let's go Amelia Kerr for that one. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Through to the keeper, Smithy. Wow. Uh, if it's not merely... Uh, uh, Sophie Devine didn't play a lot because she was uh, overseas. So I wouldn't think it's Sophie Devine. Uh, um, Susie, Bates isn't, Susie Bates has been overseas and hasn't really racked up a big score. Uh, Maddie Green, maybe? No, I, I've got no idea. I, I absolutely have no idea. I don't want to super smash that closely, I should. Um, I'll, I'll go. I'll, I'll go. I'll go Sophie Devine, but because she's the only one I can think of. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. So close, Smithy. <laughs> oh, it's one of those ones where I think you're just going to nail it. You said the name, Susie Bates. Oh God, I didn't realise you'd got a hundred, Susie Bates. Yeah, one well, there you go. I, I, I just remember I watched that. <laughs> oh, God, okay. All Come right, Jason. Jason. One question to go. He's still alive. $50 TAB bonus bet. Arthur grabs here. How long was that Wellington Blaze winning streak before Auckland defeated them? I like you taking a go. run up on each answer. No, nah, let's, go, let's go 15 matches. 
one of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. I've got to say, I'm seeing Smithy's eyes light up. I, I think he knows this. I'm thinking 19. I'm thinking 19. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Stumped on the last ball, Jason. Unlucky. All good, thank you. Yeah. Cheers, Jason. Thanks for playing. Um, and uh, tomorrow it'll be uh, up for uh, 100 bucks. That's the good news here, yeah. Um, so that, that was uh, very interesting indeed, that uh, that uh, number. And uh, it was unusual. I didn't really fancy that it would be the, uh, the Auckland side that uh, knocked them over. To be fair, I, I would have thought it might have been uh, one of these two sides playing uh, in today's match, either uh, Canterbury or um, Otago. So that was a, a real, a real surprise. But um, and Lee Casper, it was a, a bit of a surprise to me as well. Right, uh, we got through that, and we've got a hundred bucks up for grabs tomorrow morning. So uh, make sure you're uh, on the phones early to get some money for the weekend. It is eleven thirty nine coming up, and uh, we'll have uh, some more. I think we might visit the sports desk yet again uh, for some more clips from uh, Logan Swinkles. Parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, just going through those scores yesterday from uh, the England side. Crawley, 17 uh, from 25. Uh, ben Duckett, 32 from 28. They really uh, smacked them around. I mean, they just do play so positively. Ollie Pope, 26 from 30. Joe Root, 77 from 69. Harry Brook. 97 from 71, including nine sixes. Quite staggering. That'll be your top five, I think. You'll put Stokes on the back of that, um, at, coming at six. Uh, and then you'll use uh, probably Ben Folks at seven, who's the wicketkeeper. Now, uh, that's the other thing. I, from a wicketkeeping perspective, what I'm really looking forward to this series is the battle between Ben Folks uh, and Tom Blundell. I think uh, Tom Blundell is a superior batsman, but... Um, I think they're, they're pretty even in terms of their glove work. In fact, I'll, I'll say folks' work standing up in the tough conditions in India uh, on really turning pitches was quite outstanding. Uh, I think probably the best gloveman, pure gloveman in the world of cricket at the moment, Ben Folks. Uh, but a uh, nice little match-up between him and Tom Blundell, who has uh, been standing up to the stumps well, uh, getting a lot of stumpings, which is quite rare for New Zealand wicketkeepers over the years. And uh, <coughs> that match-up, I, I think, will be... Uh, quite fascinating. Folks against Blundell. Right, uh, let's, uh, we talked about Manchester United. They uh, came back from uh, the dead this morning and uh, won, they drew two all. Drew two all with Leeds United, so a point for uh, both sides, which is great for Leeds. But Manchester United have been uh, in the news a wee bit uh, in terms of maybe the transfer market and some ownership. Logan. Yeah, there's a couple of things to keep uh, Ricardo Ball and all other diehard Manchester United fans in New Zealand uh, on the tip of their toes. Firstly, and I'm not doing this to provoke you at all, Smithy, but the rumour mill is definitely circling around Harry Kane going to uh, to Manchester. Has been for a while. Um, this is what Gary Neville, uh, Manchester United great, had to say just a couple of weeks ago about it. Look, I mean, Tottenham fans, I don't think have got a particularly great memory or fond memory of me moving Harry Kane to Manchester. It wasn't United, it was the City at the time. So I'm not going to wind them up on a Sunday that I'm not even there. Harry Kane improves every single team in Europe, every single team in the world. He is a wonderful striker, uh, great professional. So it would be obvious that you look at Manchester United, they're still playing with Martial up front. They brought Vergost in, who was a stopgap till the end of the season and no more. 
They've obviously lost Cristiano Ronaldo, Cavani from last season, so they've got real problems in that area. Um, they haven't got a, what I would class as a natural centre forward uh, that gives them the sort of play that um, Eric Ten Hag wants. So for me, they need to sign a striker, they need to spend big money on a striker, or unearth somebody from somewhere, and I can't see where that's coming from. So Kane would be a great signing, but getting him out of Tottenham is not going to be easy. The thing there is, Smithy, that was a couple of weeks ago, and when that sort of came out, uh, from the likes of you know anyone who's a Manchester fan, a lot of them seem to say, well, we don't really want Harry Kane. Uh, which is probably good news for you. Uh, he's sort of, you know, on, on the ageing side of things, as far as a pro footballer goes, he's 29. We want, you know, they want someone who's a bit younger. Well, now the name Victor Osman has been floated to be going to Manchester United to address that centre forward issue. He's 24. He's playing in the Serie A for Napoli. Napoli are having a real uh, resurgence on the back of him uh, leading the league with 16 goals. So, that is another name to look out for as things continue on there, Smithy. On the other side of things, in terms of ownership, uh, Qatari investors are planning to make a huge bid to buy Manchester United. Uh, the Daily Mail reported, citing unnamed sources. Don't you love when they do that? The report described the investors as a group of private high-wealth individuals from Qatar, which hosted the uh, most recent World Cup. United declined to comment when contacted by Reuters, but Bloomberg News reported last month that Qatar Sports Investments QCI, which owns Paris Saint-Germain, was considering entering uh, either a total takeover or a stake in Manchester United or their rivals Liverpool. Meanwhile, Ineos formally entered the bidding process to buy United last month after the club's US owners, the Glazer family, uh, said in November that they had begun looking at options, including new investment or a potential sale, as fans clamour for a change of ownership and the Glazers have been a target of intense criticism. Because why? <laughs> the last time the team won silverware was back in 2017, lifting the Europa League and League Cup trophies. So fans are wanting movement, Smithy. They're wanting a player. Uh, a lot of demands going on there for the Red Devils. Yeah, well, it's interesting too, and I don't know if it's just me, but aren't the Saudis and the Qataris really becoming quite prominent now in terms of ownership and sponsorship mm. uh, around the world? Um, and <coughs> we, we, we still won't um, know, but uh, for a while I would imagine if they're going to resolve this issue over the, uh, the, the Visit Saudi scheme, uh, tourism scheme, um, as one of the principal backers of uh, the Women's World Cup for football, um, and both countries, uh, New Zealand and Australia, have um, have spoken about that. Uh, both saying they're really not that fussed on that idea. Um, but of course, um, money talks and all sport and money talks with FIFA as well. So that'll be very interesting to see if that stays as a principal sponsor or whether that is squashed. Uh, and on the subject too of uh, women's sport, of course, uh, the Women's T20 World Cup is just around the corner now. The warm-ups uh, concluded, and ours didn't conclude very well. We lost to England. But there was a real turn-up there as well with the Ireland beating Australia. Now, who in their wildest of dreams would ever think that would happen? I love this, but I am also a bit wary that this now sort of <laughs> lights a fire under the Australians when they take on the White Ferns in their first match of the T20 Women's World Cup. But yes, Ireland have pulled off a bit of a surprise there. Smithy, all uh, Prendergrass put on a fine all-round display as Ireland chased down 169 runs to defeat Australia by three wickets to head into that World Cup on a high 
the right arm medium pacer dismissed opener Beth Mooney for a first ball duck on her way to figures of two for 19 from her four overs. Elisa Healy and Talia McGrath uh, then combined for a 135 run stand, which ended with McGrath retiring on 56 to give other batters time in the middle. Elise Perry's 40 not out from 20 balls steered Australia to 168 for three which Amy Hunter and Gabby Lewis gave Ireland a fast start and chasing down, putting on 39 runs in just 3.5 overs. After that, uh, Ireland captain uh, Laura Delaney was talking to RT Sport about that result. I suppose you always want to contribute with both the bat and the ball as an all-rounder. Um, and I think as a squad, everything's heading in the right direction. Some of the girls have put in really good performances and spent a lot of time out in the middle. And as a bowling group, we're being tested, which is great. We want to make sure that we have our plans right ahead of next week and our group game starting. I will admit, Smithy, I put that in the show because I just I love the Irish accent. <laughs> and I, I like the Irish accent too. It's, it's really cool. Um, but they are now, um, I won't say they'll win the ICC T20 World Cup for women, Ireland, but uh, they're a genuine threat. If you can knock over Australia and produce those kind of numbers against a very good Australian bowling attack uh, when you're chasing it, that's quite a big total, um, eight and over, uh, to, to run down against a, a pretty cool attack. So uh, Ireland will grow in confidence from that. I, I venture to say that they will, uh, they'll upset someone in this tournament, Ireland. They'll be a factor in, in that regard. So uh, don't... A little bit worried about us, though. I'm a little bit worried about uh, the New Zealand chances in this. It's 11.51 here on SENZ. Uh, We'll have a chance to catch up with uh, Mark Stafford very shortly.